This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. The bird that hit me came through the front windshield high and took the roof out. Uh, the Huskies got plexiglass on the roof too and took that out and then it blew the left windows out and hit the, the bottom of the flap and cut it and hit the tail. Welcome to another edition of There I Was, a podcast where we put you in the cockpit with pilots in interesting situations and we learn how they flew out of them. I'm your host, Richard McSpadden. Today's guest is Lauren Kopsing. Lauren's been a general aviation pilot for decades. He's got over 9,600 hours, all of it in general aviation. He's a private pilot, multi-engine qualified, IFR rated. He's got second in command privileges in a Beach Premier and the Cessna 500 series. Lauren's owned six tail draggers in his lifetime, a Cessna 140, three Super Cubs, and a couple Huskies. So Lauren's gonna share with us a story today about an experience he had in a bird strike flying his husky out of North Dakota. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Lauren, you were recently chatting with Mark Baker, a friend of yours, and you shared with him some pictures of an incident you had, a bird strike in your beloved husky. So do you mind sharing that story with us? Where were you and what were you doing? How did it happen? We were hunting pheasants in southern South Dakota, a friend of mine, and we hunted up, you know, the days are short, October 30th, up north here where we live, at five o'clock, it's starting to get dark, uh, probably 5.30. And we got out of this hunting place. So we landed in Fargo in the dark from Southern South Dakota, South of Pierce, South Dakota, Gregory, the town of Dallas. And I just came out of a, a farm. I could land right at this camp where we hunted. And uh, I came out of there. I had fueled at Pierce, South Dakota on the way down. So I had plenty of fuel to get to Fargo, North Dakota. Dropped my friend off in the dark, refueled, and started to Bismarck. And uh, it was uh, also a night, the ceiling was like uh, 2,500, 3,000 feet, which was fine, and the biz was okay. But my Husky that I had was a VFR-only airplane. I had replaced the attitude indicator with an electronic one with a, a decent attitude indicator and a ball. So it's basically almost a little better than needle ball airspeed, but not much, but enough to fly it at night if I had to. I took off out of Fargo, 
heading towards Bismarck, North Dakota, and I could see occasionally I was getting a little bit of something. So I flipped my light on and I was getting some snow and my airplane doesn't have heated pedo. It wasn't bad snow, but I could see it in the lights and the strobes. But I still had good visibility and, and I was below the clouds. And so I just put it along at 3,500 feet. Fargo is 900 feet above sea level. Bismarck is 1674. So I'm heading west from Fargo, North Dakota to Bismarck, North Dakota, 3,500 feet. So I'm roughly 1,500 feet above the ground, you know, east of Bismarck. And I'm just bad, dumb, and happy uh, trucking along. My GPS was working. I had checked into Bismarck Approach Control. I was squawking the code they gave me, and, you know, I'm just going home. All of a sudden, um, boom, the windshield came in on me. And my first reaction was, oh, you know, these airplanes, <laughs> the manufacturer, my shop, why would the windshield break in on me? And uh, there was something covering my right eye. I didn't know what it was. My glasses were smashed. My headset was knocked off. It went in the back seat. There was a, a tremendous amount of cold air hitting me. It was about 20 degrees that night. And the bird that hit me, I had no idea what it was really, came through the front windshield high and took the roof out. Uh, the Huskies got plexiglass on the roof too and took that out. And then it blew the left windows out. Don't know how, but the left window system then hit the, the bottom of the flap and cut it and hit the tail. At this point in my life, I have to, you know, have bifocals readers, so I couldn't see anything really looking down for a frequency. And So, Lauren, can I pause you there for a second? So you're just flying back from a nice uh, weekend hunting trip. It's at night, snowing a little bit, but visibility's good. Just a, a dark night, I presume, with the overcast. But you're over pretty flat terrain out there in North Dakota. And it's interesting to me, you didn't hear a loud bam or... The first thing you noticed was just your windshield caved in. And for a few minutes, it sounds like you had no idea why. I didn't have any idea what happened until I got it on the ground, other than the windshield came in. I told the, the approach control guys, I found my headset in the back seat and got it up and got it on and told them I had a windshield. And they were asking me if I wanted an emergency. They were bugging me about that. And I'm trying to fly the airplane and make sure I get this thing on the ground. And so I told him, no emergency, please, you know, just let me fly this thing. And so I was able to slow it down slightly. I didn't want to, I definitely wanted to get it on the ground quick, but I had a good engine. It was running fine, no vibration. And I had control of the airplane, I, ailerons and rudder, everything was working right. And so I had a good airplane. And from then on, it was mainly so cold in there it took a big chunk of the top of the airplane out so it i had a tremendous amount of air it's 20 degrees that night so it was immediately really cold and slowing it down helped some but not much and uh so i had about 25 miles to get it to where i live bismarck fortunately there wasn't any wind that night they lit up uh, a runway for me 2-1 which uh was pretty much straight in <laughs> And uh, I was really glad to get it on the ground and glad I didn't have a serious crosswind to deal with or anything else. But uh, I was not able to switch over to our tower frequency or ground control. But my friends were working in the tower. They had been working with me for 25 miles. 
And uh, I just told my, hey, I can't see the, <laughs> the frequency that changes. You got to land me on approach and taxi me on approach, which they did. Bismarck's a relatively small community. And, and I knew the tower guy at that time. That was really about it. I got it on the ground and got it in our hangar where we got some lights on it. And then I began to see what really happened. When I got into the FBO, I had goose stuff all over my face and I had a goose guts on my shirt <laughs> and uh, I had my own blood. It might've been the windshield. It might've been, uh, I'm, I'm not sure what hit me. It was a goose, but it might've been the windshield too. But I had goose blood and stuff caked over my eye. When it first hit, you know, I think the windshield hit me, but then the goose grease goose fat goose feathers were on my face and something was i couldn't see out of my right eye initially <laughs> that freaked me out but i kind of kept scraping my eye and suddenly I, I was able to see on my right eye so i could land the thing <laughs> i had both eyes to land it so i was getting things were getting a lot better by the time i got on the ground but my glasses were broken and somewhere in the plane and there was a hell a lot of noise going and a lot of cold air coming through that thing the cold was what was probably the worst for me. I wasn't, I'd been hunting that day and I had probably long underwear. I know I had long underwear on uh, and just a shirt with no gloves or cap or anything. And it was freezing. So kind of like being on a motorcycle at a hundred miles an hour or something or a snowmobile and at 20 degrees, really uncomfortable. But That's so interesting to me that the, that you didn't know you had a bird strike until you got on the ground and got the airplane in the hangar, started looking around. You went, holy smokes, I hit a bird. That's right. I had no clue. I just thought the windshield caved in in the night and freaked me out. I didn't know why. Perfectly good plexiglass windshield. So my first reaction was the manufacturer, (laughs) uh, our shop in Bismarck, uh, that was my first reaction that, God, this thing came in on me. But then again, the instinct for all of us is fly the airplane. And uh, I had a good airplane. So it wasn't, you know, to me, it wasn't an emergency. It was unpleasant situation. And I was bleeding, too. I had some blood where something hit me in the forehead and then something hit me in the eye. <laughs> I had a got a big shiner out of it and cut above my eye and smashed my glasses into my face. If it would have been a couple inches to the left, I think I, you know, it might hit me smack in the face, and I, I might really have had some issues. And you didn't have a lot of room to work with here because you were—you mentioned about fifteen hundred feet AGL or so. Suddenly, the windshield comes in on you. You got this blast of cold air. Your headset's flown off. Your glasses are gone. You can't see. You can't hear. That had to be a few seconds of collecting yourself, and kind of like you mentioned, through all of that. You're flying the airplane. Yeah, that, I think you know, we're all trained to fly the plane. And my first reaction was I didn't have any vibration. and I didn't have any. I had a good engine. And I did something with the controls to determine, hey, they're working. And in my mind, hey, I'm flying this thing onto the ground and getting home. And I did. And the cold was the biggest issue for you, it sounded like, just the cold factor. Yeah, there, was, there aren't any places to land other than, you know, off airport at night. You know, it'd be very dangerous. So... Bismarck was the closest airport, about 25 nautical away, and uh, I did slow it up some to slow the amount of cold air coming through that thing, but I was probably doing 85 knots or something. That's still 
yeah, hundred miles an hour, it's still pretty cold. And, and when I did slow it way down to land, you know, it, it, it instantly was warming up a little bit. So that was a lot better. Hey listeners, do you love aviation? Did you know that general aviation contributes billions to the U.S. economy every year and is a vital pipeline for military and commercial pilot force? AOPA works to ensure the vitality of the general aviation industry and supports our freedom to fly. Join us and become a member now at AOPA.org. You'll become part of a worldwide community of aviation enthusiasts. We'd love to have you. We got it on the ground and we got it in my hangar where we have good lights and then I began to see the real story. We found the goose, a snow goose, in the baggage compartment in the back of the plane. I have a picture that I shared with Mark and Richard here that just shows me holding the goose and uh, and the hole in the windshield of, of my Husky for the plexiglass was knocked out. The next morning, my mechanics came out. They're great guys. And <laughs> this is kind of a big deal in Podunk Bismarck. Yeah, with our airplane stuff. And my mechanics crawled all over the plane, and they figured I hit four that night, not just one. One came through the windshield. I flew into a flock of snow geese, and there was actually a wing on, on the tail stuck underneath on the uh, one of the wires that supports the horizontal stabilizer, and uh, dings in both wings, two dings on one wing, one ding on, an, on another wing. And uh, there was damage to the supports for the wing. And one of those was ripped off and it ripped the fabric on the right side. You know, a big mess, uh, a lot of blood in the inside the airplane and some mine, but mainly the goose, he didn't fare too well either. And I imagine the other three didn't either. You know, I've done a fair amount of night flying and I have just never thought about a bird strike at night. Is it Typical of the migration season up there in North Dakota for the snow geese that, that they fly at night? I have heard geese at night when I, you know, going in and out of my home in Bismarck. We are in the central flyway. And, you know, I should have thought of that. If I could have been higher, normally I'd have flown higher that night. I, at night flying, going west, I'd probably been at 6,500 with more options and probably been above them. But I had that ceiling above me and I was not able to get much higher. 6,500, I'm sure, would have been my my normal cruising altitude. So, yeah, I, uh, surprisingly, the tower guys, you know, I'm on the ground 10 minutes, and my friend from the tower was worried about me. And he called me on my phone, we're friends, so he had my cell number, and he said I'm to call this gentleman with the FAA, and I think it was in New Orleans. They are interested in bird strikes. And so then he had me talk to our local FISDO office in Fargo just uh, within half, 20 minutes after I landed. And, and the FISDO man in Fargo, North Dakota said that uh, with the FAA, you know, said there are bird strikes up to 16,000 feet, which is unbelievable. And there are many bird strikes at night. Unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. I've just never thought of that. Uh, me either. You know, in the daytime, you can you can typically see them and avoid them, especially on a dark night over uh, in an overcast in North Dakota. That's just no way you're going to see birds like that. It's a it's an interesting uh, dynamic I never really thought of. Yeah, it was a it was an overcast night, so there was no moon or yeah you know, yeah what they were doing up there, I have no clue. 
So once that happened, you pulled your, uh, so you could find your cord, you pulled your headset back on. Because of your blurred vision, you lost your glasses, you couldn't see to dial in radios or anything. How were you flying in terms of heading and airspeed? Could you just see the lights out in front of you of uh, Bismarck? Yes, sir. I had, I, the lights of Bismarck, 25 miles away, I could see the glow of that place. I knew, you know, definitely knew where I was. And I have a, this one has a Garmin 796 and, you know, big magenta line ahead of me. And I knew what was coming. I knew the country. I was not that far from my home where I'd flown for all these years. So that part was easy. I just kept plugging along. One of my friends in the, my friend in the tower said at one point, uh, we got your lights. Uh, keep coming, Warren. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been a comforting feeling, though, to hear a, a voice you recognize saying, yeah, we, we see you. Keep coming. And how about things like uh, airspeed? Did you just feel that? You've had enough hours in your Husky, you could just feel your airspeed coming out final? Yeah, I got the, you know, on final, I, yeah, again, my distance vision's fine. And, uh, I, I, you know, I could I could see I had it in the white arc to get some flaps on it and get it slowed down. And that's about all you need in a Husky is just get it slowed. I'm sure I didn't wasn't able to see the airspeed I, but I, I was in the white arc and I had the I had flaps so, and I didn't. Fortunately, that night I didn't have a mean crosswind. <laughs> We're famous for wind up here. It, it was just it was pretty decent, so I could just get it on and taxi it back. Yeah, it, it was a real mess. It was about sixty-seven thousand dollars worth of damage. My insurance company, uh, W. Brown. I'll have to give them a shout out on that. They did a. The adjuster was totally reasonable, understanding, good guy. He came out from Chicago and looked at it, took a couple, three weeks, and then we started our work. We got got the plexiglass back in it, the roof, the windshield, and the rear window or side windows. Got it cleaned up, all the guts and stinky stuff out of the poor thing. Then my mechanics here in Bismarck patched it because it's fabric airplane where it was dinged. They put patches on it, uh, obtained a ferry permit for me, and I flew it then in January, it took till January to get all these little steps done out to the factory, Aviat Huskies factory out in Wyoming. And there they took the wings off it and uh, they're doing a factory fix. Our, our local shop in Bismarck doesn't do aluminum and fabric anymore. So we took it to the factory where they fixed the wings. And while I was there at the Husky factory, <laughs> and I got a tour of the Husky factory at Afton, Wyoming, and I saw these other beautiful Huskies, I traded this one for a new one. So I have a 2020 Husky. It's wonderful. <laughs> I'm a lucky man. I know that. <laughs> well, you know, most of these conversations we have, we talk to the pilots about, as you look back, what are the lessons learned from the scenario that you can carry forward or that we can take into our flying? Have you had a chance to think about that? I think the, the big one on this one would be <laughs> flying at 3,500 feet October 30th when the flyway of geese, the my, main migration from Canada to wherever the geese wind up, Texas or wherever it is, is coming through a place like North Dakota. <laughs> I'm going to be a, a lot higher if I have to do this one again, or I'm probably not going to go at night where I can't see them. You know, during the day, 
you can see the pesky things and you know, hopefully you're looking out and hopefully you're on it. And I think that would be it. I, I won't be flying at 3,500 feet through the, I think it's called the central flyway at night. All that being said, we have to land our jets, our, I'm a Meridian also, and yet we have to descend and climb through 3,500 all the time and with our bigger airplanes. And I just was unlucky to stumble onto them a flock at night and uh, flew through it, but it beat up my airplane pretty bad. And you, you mentioned 3,500, that's, that's MSL, so really that's roughly about 1,000 uh, AGL is, is the altitude that you're talking. I wonder, Lauren, if there's a website where you, pilots could check that, you know, like you check weather and notams and maybe during bird migration season, do they track that in terms of where the larger migrations are, do you know? or You know, our ATIS in Bismarck, a lot of times, if they're seeing them on the radar, they do say uh, multiple targets uh, in the area. They don't know what they are, but multiple targets. I don't recall them saying that that night that were, there were multiple targets on the radar. And I was within 30 nautical, so I was within the Class D here that we do have radar service. So I don't recall. You know, they might have said they had multiple targets, but I, I can't remember that. Uh, that's one warning they do give us here. And it's pretty common, by the way. <laughs> we have quite a few geese and ducks around here. I would say a, a second lesson that we could all take away is just no matter what, fly the airplane. I mean, there you are on a dark night coming home, probably a little bit tired from a great a weekend of hunting. And just all of a sudden, life changes. Your windshield caves in with no warning. And there you are. You can't see. You can't hear. You're cold as you can be. And you're still flying the airplane. When you learn to fly, you know, fly the airplane first, you know, worry about everything else later, figure it all out. And when I got my headset on, you know, I could tell Bismarck Approach what my problem was. And they just had a pickup out there when I landed. I didn't want the fire department and the media and all the hullabaloo. I, I didn't feel it was an emergency. I just felt it was a, uh, you know, discomfort and a... Yeah. It sounds like they gave you priority anyway. One of the great benefits of declaring an emergency is that you get priority. And it sounds like they had given, whether there was no traffic or whatever the reason, they had clearly given you priority. They were looking out for you in the tower. And another good thing, Lauren, is that you were on flight following. So you were on a frequency to talk to someone so that you could immediately pick it up. Because as you mentioned, your eyesight was blurred and, you know, you've been hit in the face with bird guts and everything, and you wouldn't have been able to find a frequency. So had you not have been on there, that could have changed things for you. Yeah, that's all correct, Richard. They, uh, my new Husky has a big German radio, the big letters. I probably would have been good. My old Husky had a little round Tom, <laughs> and it's down low to the left. I just, I, I just could not see the frequencies, and that was a minor problem, but and Bismarck uh, is certainly not Newark or, or Van Nuys or something. It, Bismarck's pretty slow, but that night there was a uh, Delta flight coming. I heard him on the, when I got my headset on, I, and I told him my problem. Delta said they would do anything they needed to do to give me priority. I didn't really need it. They got in ahead of me. I, I told them, no, no, just keep going, and, and they got in, and... And then I got on the ground after they did. I, I was so slow. 
One other advantage, it seems like they, in essence, gave you a single frequency approach, meaning they're not going to change frequencies through you. And that's something that um, a lot of GA pilots aren't aware of. If you are so task saturated in an emergency for whatever reason, in your case, it was different, but sometimes it's task saturation or very complicated emergency. You can just request from your controller, I want a single frequency approach. I don't want to have to change frequencies all the way into landing. And oftentimes they can grant that for you. And it just takes one task. It takes away from you that you don't have to worry about anymore. Yep, that is correct. And little Bismarck here, we're only 67 or 76,000 people. It's sometimes we have the same person on ground, tower, and approach. There's more than one person in there, but maybe... The second person's going to the bathroom. So sometimes it's the same voice for all three. <laughs> Not often. And they do a lot of training here, which is really good, too, for people to go out to busier areas to get the systems down. Well, uh, for our listeners, we'll have pictures of Lawrence Husky and Lauren himself up right after the incident on our uh, website. So log on to airsafetyinstitute.org and take a look at the pictures of Lauren and his Husky. Lauren, we're so thankful that uh, you just flew the airplane through it and landed safely. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us. My pleasure, Richard. Lauren, you're a big supporter of AOPA and specifically the foundation. And I just want to pass my personal thanks to you for that, for supporting safety and things like this podcast we're able to do because of donors like you. So do you mind sharing a little bit? Why do you support the foundation? What does it mean to you? Well, aviation's been a big thing in my life. In my businesses, I could not have accomplished what I've accomplished uh, without aviation. And so at a certain point, I started to figure I needed to give something back to this. I give to politicians and so many other worthy causes that I, I, I should support something that's that supported me and helped me with you know, safety and reading. I read AOPA magazine, certainly every time. And I read a lot of other ones, too. <laughs> In aviation, uh, trying to you know keep myself current and yeah, I, I appreciate all the things your foundation does, including you know this podcast that I didn't even know existed. Sorry, I'm from another generation and not really <laughs> computerized too much. Uh, but I'll have to listen to this one and listen to others that might be of interest to me. And yeah, it's good stuff. Safety, of course, in aviation is always number one. Again, I I thank you for that support. It allows us in the Air Safety Institute to reach, this year, we've reached over seven and a half million times our material has been accessed. And so in the safety world, you can't be effective if you, first you got to reach people, then you influence how they think and impact how they fly. Thanks to people like you, we're able to do that. So thank you for that. And thank you for sharing your story with us. Okay, you bet, Richard. Well, what an incredible story from Lauren Copsing, flying along in his Husky at about 1,000, 1,500 feet AGL at night, everything going just fine, 30 miles from home, and suddenly, bam, windshield caves in, and he hits about four Canadian geese at night. It's just something I've never thought of, a bird strike at night. And part of the lesson learned there is to try to pay attention to the migration season and the migratory patterns if you're in a region where that happens. And for all of us to realize that it can happen at night. So we're so thankful that he landed safely. He's got himself a nice brand new Husky. And we're thankful that Lauren shared his story with us. And, and also so grateful for his support of the foundation and what AOPA does. 
Thanks for listening. Alongside our producer, Tyler Payneborn, I'm the host, Richard McSpadden. Until next time, fly safe. Hey, listeners, if you like these podcasts and you'd like to help us continue providing them, please consider a donation to help our efforts. Go to aopafoundation.org slash donate. That's aopafoundation, all one word, dot org slash donate. And thanks for your support. There I Was is produced by the AOPA Air Safety Institute. If you'd like to hear other episodes, submit comments, or submit your own story to potentially be featured on the show, please visit airsafetyinstitute.org slash there I was. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.